Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and I am here introing the episode, episode 90, with my guest, Dr. Christina Iglesia. Dr. Christina is amazing and doing wonderful work online and in her therapy practice. She has a mental health action campaign called Hashtag Therapy is Cool, um, and I have all the links to that in the show notes for this episode. On this episode, we talk about uh, bringing humanness into her work as a therapist, the familial mental health struggles that inspired her to Dr. Christina to go into psychology, and her super inspiring mental health action campaign, Hashtag Therapy is Cool. If you go to hashtag therapyiscool.com uh, with hashtag spelled out, H-A-S-H-T-A-G, therapyiscool.com, uh, buy yourself a tote. It's really cool. And uh, Dr. Christina is doing amazing work. And I love this conversation. It was cut short a little bit at the end because uh, Dr. Christina uh, had a patient um, that she was running late to. So we went a little bit over our time. But uh, that's just because uh, I had such a good time chatting with her. I consider her uh, one of my uh, heroes. Um, and she's doing wonderful work. So go follow her. Again, all the links are in the show notes. Um, before we get to the episode, I, I did have a few things to say. One is I, I didn't get to mention my empathy hero in this in this episode because, uh, you know, we we uh, we were cut short as I mentioned. Uh, so my empathy hero this week is uh, Jen or Jennifer Pasteloff, who is an author and she does workshops and things. I'm mentioning her because I am currently reading On Being Human. That's Jen's uh, book. Um, and it's, oh man, it's really beautiful. I love the way she describes things. I, uh, I love uh, her framework on the world. And a lot of the stuff that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only into like the third chapter or something, but I'm just like nodding along, you know, the whole time saying like, yes, yes, yes. I relate so much. Oh my goodness. So, I, I think you will too. Uh, the, again, the book's called On Being Human, and it's by Jennifer Pasteloff. Uh, it's great. So she's my empathy hero this week. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is I recently uh, shared a post on Instagram and Facebook uh, asking if you'd like to see a new episode, you know, like on this feed per week uh, on Fridays, or... A, uh, a YouTube version of an episode um, in addition to a regular episode on Mondays. And uh, the majority uh, wanted YouTube. So I'm going to look into that. Um, that is the plan. And I, I was kind of hoping that it would be YouTube, to be honest, because uh, it doesn't cost me any more money. And I think adding an extra episode to the feed would cost me more money. 
Um, not that I wouldn't do that, and not that that's not a possibility. It could be. So, uh, you know, but look out for the YouTube channel. Uh, I want to, as you lovely feely humans know, I am building a business right now. I've recently been talking about it a little. I haven't given much away, but uh, the YouTube channel will will play a role in that, and also you will play a role. I I want this growing business idea that I have um, uh, will include you. Like the community aspect of Yumi Empathy is very important to me. And I, I with this new idea, um, I want it to be even more so. So I'm working on ideas for that. And, you know, I uh, look out, just look out for, it'll be here sooner than later. Um, uh, my... My goal is to start reaching out to people to kind of like be a part of a pre-launch team is what I'm calling it, which is very exciting, Um, uh, starting in November. So that's coming up very, very quickly here. And so look out for that if you if you like this show, if you like Yumi Empathy, if you appreciate what I'm doing in terms of spreading the message of empathy and vulnerability and emotional wayfinding as these core tenets of recovery, and uh, then you're going to love this new thing I'm doing because it's it's that um, in some different mediums, and it's I, I'm working on strategy about how I can bring more of you into it. So. Also, if you have any ideas on that, I'm open ears. I've never done a business before, so it's uh, it's new and exciting and scary, um, and I'm learning as I'm going. So if you have a, a business yourself and uh, you want to give me business advice, I'm all ears, uh, literally. Not literally. I don't have ears. I have two ears, uh, but I don't have ears, you know, on my butt, for instance. But maybe I should. Hmm. Uh, any hoozles, uh, look out for that. And if you're excited, definitely let me know because I I need the validation. I, I want to hear from you. If you're excited about this new thing, uh, let me know on Instagram at Yumi Empathy or on Twitter at Yumi Empathy. And uh, I guess that's it. That's all I'm going to say for this little intro. Uh, please enjoy my chat with the wonderful Dr. Christina in episode 90. to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can hand-in-hand, break down the stigma 
that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm hashtag overjoyed to lay down on the proverbial therapist couch with clinical psychologist Stigma Badler and hashtag therapy is cool creator Dr. Christina Iglesia. Hello, Christina. Hi. How's it going? Good. I really like my intro. Um, I'm going to try to maybe use it more often. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Stigma Babbler. I feel like I should put that in my new headline. You know, I (laughs) thank you for the compliment. (laughs) I appreciate it. I, I, I enjoy creating the little intros for my guests. And you hear Stigma Fighter all the time. I know. And so I wanted to change it up. Okay, I'm going to hashtag stigma badler now, so be careful. It's about to take off. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on Yumi Empathy. You know, thank you for asking me to. I'm really excited to talk about all things mental health. Lovely, lovely. Well, that's that's what this show is all about. Well, before we get into your story, Christina, we always kick off the show with an emotional check-in. How are you? How are you feeling in this moment? How's your week been? It's been a little more hectic than planned, but in a kind of good stress. I think that when we think of stress, we automatically uh, think negative, but it's been an exciting week with lots of opportunities to battle stigma out in the open and work with patients and connect with people. So stressful, but in a good way. Okay. What what in particular uh, stresses you out? I think when I take on more than I am physically or emotionally capable to. Sure. I think that wanting to really make hashtag therapy is cool, a success and wanting to say yes to projects and also finding balance in the real world is something that I am being more mindful about as the weeks continue and trying to find some kind of semblance between um, my advocacy work, my clinical work, and my life in general work that I can do. Yeah. I think uh, certainly we can all relate to that. I mean, the the balance of the the work and the life and all the things and wanting to do all the things and wanting to say yes. And cause yes. culture says we need to say yes more and you know, all, all that pressure. Um, I'm curious, like, so I have a couple of friends who are, are therapists um, like yourself. Yes. Awesome. And Pretty awesome. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the consensus that I get from Tony uh, and the listeners know Tony uh, and then my friend uh, Dave is that it's, they're like constantly busy. It's like, and it's in particular, I, I've had chats with Tony and I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but <laughs> he, you know, he's, he cares so much and wants to do so much and wants to be there for his patients. Uh, and yet he's just like, so overworked. So finding mm-hmm. that balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that people assume that therapists have it all figured out. 
And we are humans and we are constantly trying to navigate the same struggles as everybody else. And one of the struggles that goes hand in hand with our profession is this deep desire to help. And there's always, always going to be people that are going to be needing your help. And how do you try to the best of your ability to balance how much you can give yeah. so that you're also in turn taking care of yourself? Yeah, 100%. It's funny that we do that. You mentioned, I, lo I love that you said that we, the general public does do that. We look at, yes. we look at doctors, we look at therapists, we look at people of quote unquote higher achievement uh, right. as non-human and it's so it's I know, totally unfair on, people it's, yeah <laughs> <laughs> no the good thing is i i definitely and my patients would agree i try to bring my humanness into my work because i think it's so important to model the fact that i am human and while i have a degree and the privilege of an education I am at the root, the same exact, you know, being that all of us are. And yeah. so it's so important for me to show when I make mistakes, to show my hiccups and limitations so that people understand that therapists are human and therapists are um, similar in so many ways to the people that they work with. Yeah, 100%. It's... It's, um, it's, I mean, vulnerability, right? Vulnerability mm -hmm. is such a huge connector. Um, I find like in my, in, in doing this show and just sort of my own therapy and recovery journey and healing journey, right. th vulnerability has been, vulnerability and empathy, those two have mm -hmm. been like huge parts of my mm -hmm. healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in order to be a, productive therapist, you have to bring that into the room or the people that you work with aren't going to be able to connect with you. Totally. You have to be human first and therapist second, because we are all trying to navigate this journey of life and to know that there are people that want to authentically connect and support you, I think is part of the therapeutic value of therapy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to, something happened for me this week. Uh, I mm -hmm. wanted to, to share with the listeners and you, Christina, I, I recently, a couple of weeks ago, I'm a runner and, uh -huh. and I went, I signed up for a couple of, um, longer trail runs. I, I love to run trail okay. and I did a 20, no, not 25, half marathon trail run a couple of weeks ago, did well, but you know, I'm getting older, I'll be 38 this year, and I, I have a bad hip <laughs> mm -hmm. and a back and I have like arthritis in my back and like I have pain, you know, and right. And I decided for myself to stop the longer runs and just, mm -hmm. I have to listen to my body. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's time for me, I got to grow up a little bit and listen to my body and recognize the the sort of key thing that I that I the nugget that I sort of discovered this week is that I could still be a runner uh, that can still be sort of a part of my identity and my value, but that it changes right, right. and and it's right. such a it's so weird that we humans and I recognize this in myself and others 
we we want to hold on to like certain aspects of our identity mm-hmm. and keep them you know wherever they are right right it's like we don't expect that that to change it's so strange mm-hmm. yeah i think that once we have formed our identity we are really locked into keeping it because it's something that we know and it's something that we have some semblance of control over totally and to see that it shifts without our knowledge without our consent can be really dismantling for a lot of us. And so I think the way that you navigated it is the healthiest way to kind of look at what is what is wanting you to continue to hold so tightly into that identity and is there a healthier, happier way to still incorporate something like running so that you still feel that connection to something that brings you joy but isn't in turn going to cause you unnecessary harm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 100%. And it takes it takes some acceptance, it takes mm-hmm. some self-kindness. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes like questioning like why am I sort of tied up in this? Like why right. am I so why am I holding on to this idea that you are this runner that runs for 10, 15 miles at a time? Like why right. why are you holding on to that, you know? Right. Right. And I think that it's something that you worked hard at. Right. And something that you care about and you have passion for. And and to see that shifting and that your body isn't supporting it the same way is hard and is difficult. And the best thing is to have real self-compassion and kindness around that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that validation. Uh Yeah, or maybe it's just an early midlife crisis. Who knows? I mean, (laughs) midlife crises happen at any age. That's true. That's true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's jump into your story. I'm I'm very curious to kind of hear your origin story, really. Uh, and the first question I, I like to ask my guests is, can you give me a couple, uh, one or two um, seminal moments uh, mm. from your childhood or your young adulthood that kind of speak to who you are uh, now as mm-hmm. this therapist, where you are in your mental health journey? Just a couple of moments that really stick out as being really memorable as part of this journey of yours. Yeah, I think that's a really thoughtful question and and one that makes makes you think about how you got to the place you are right now and mm-hmm. for me when i'm looking at where i'm at i like to think about why mental health is so important for me and why it has shaped me both professionally and personally So I usually think back to when I started to understand mental health and what it was, which was when I was an adolescent and I had a family member that was going through some pretty serious mental health issues as a result of trauma. I at that time in my life, wasn't aware of what trauma really was. I wasn't aware of mental illness. I wasn't aware of addiction and self-harm. And I didn't have 
the mindset, the knowledge, the conversations that really would have allowed me to understand it. So instead, I was very fearful and concerned and stressed, which then in turn caused me to experience my own mental health concerns and struggles with this kind of blanketed anxiety of what is happening in my world, what is happening to the people that I love, and what am I supposed to do in situations where I feel like I don't know what to do. That kick-started the journey of wanting to understand human and wanting to understand what are the factors that play into how we are and who we are and what we are. And I decided to go to school for psychology. And once I took my first class, I knew that this was the perfect way to weave in my own personal experiences, my family experience, and a route that I could take that could ensure I could use the skills that I've developed in my own therapy to help other people hopefully navigate life in a supportive and informative way. Mm -hmm. And fast forward, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't take a break from (laughs) undergrad to grad. So I just hopped on that train and kept going. Um, And I got my doctorate in psychology. And once I was licensed, I started practicing and I kind of, that's how I am where I am right now. Wow. So you, like you, in your mind, you're making that sort of direct connection between that moment in your adolescence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to where you are now. Yeah, I think it opened my eyes. It was my first experience of seeing mental illness firsthand um, and seeing the true complexity and devastation and um, complication that goes with it, that it's that it's not this singular symptom or issue or scenario that it is so complex and multifactorial and that there isn't just one way to navigate mental health. And so I wanted to get skills and learn more so that I could in turn support other people as they navigate their own mental health conditions. Yeah. And it's very admirable. I, I, I'm curious, was your sense then um, curiosity? Was it fear? Was it both? Yeah, I think that when I first saw mental illness kind of implode in my family, it was definitely fear because I didn't have an understanding of what it was. And so that lack of information really drove me to want to learn as much as I could so that I could support other people that may one day find themselves in a situation that they don't understand. I think that if you're not in the mental health field and you don't know people that experience mental health conditions, it can be extremely um, scary to see what it can look like 
at a certain level. And so wanting to, instead of just sitting there and being helpless and hopeless, I wanted to take that and use it as something that would allow me to have my experience mean something bigger to more people so that they in turn could hopefully navigate that with somebody that not only has their own personal experience, but also has an education that can couple that into effective treatment. Yeah. Yeah. The education piece is such a huge, um, it just, it just kind of at least attempts to get you on the same page. Like I, I have a brother who has schizophrenia and I've learned a lot about, uh, that disorder over the Mm -hmm. years uh, because I want to be there and I want to like right. try to meet h- him on his level. Obviously the way he views the world is different than I, but at least I can, and mm-hmm. I've developed the skills to, uh, partially meet him where he's at, you know? Right. Yeah. Do you, yeah, I think it does. No, please continue. I was, I was just curious. Like I, I want to be sensitive to this, but I, I'm curious, are you open to talking about what that, uh, mental illness experience was in your family? Yeah. So it was, um, somebody in my family had experienced a very severe traumatic event at a young age and in turn coped with it through substance abuse and Mm self-harm. And as a adolescent, I didn't understand either of those things very well. And so to see that chaos and to see that totally readjust the family dynamic, I, I was fearful and I was concerned and I was definitely unsure on what I was supposed to do or not do as a family member to somebody who was so completely and utterly struggling. Are you the type of person who emotionally tries to take that stuff on? I think that when it's your family, it is so unbelievably hard not to. Right. Totally. I think that those are your people. And so when you see they are struggling, you in turn are struggling. And that is something that through my own therapy, I was able to not take on. And I, I understood very clearly that other people's healing journeys are not mine. And that's an important point. Yeah. And that then when I became a psychologist, as much as my patients mean to me, I do also understand that Therapy is not about forcing somebody to do anything other than what they are going to do, but it's more about being there and helping guide them to come to their own realizations of what they want their healing journey to be. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right on. I mean, that's really well said. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And how did, how did the rest of your family react to this self-harm and this substance uh, abuse Yeah, I think we all had a similar reaction of what is this? Why is this happening? What did we miss? Right? Sure. You have all of that 
guilt and responsibility. And I know I definitely experienced all those emotions, everything from sadness to anger to frustration to chaos. You go through it all when it is affecting your family unit. And so thankfully, I'm part of a family that understands that once this did, you know, kind of play out that mental health support was necessary. And so I know, and I work with lots of families that they don't access support until years after these events played out. And so I feel so fortunate that I'm part of a family that accessed it once these things began to develop so that, uh, all of us in the family unit was able to have a safe space to process what was going on. Wow, that's amazing. It is. It, I, it, I truly it's believe not, it is. It's certainly not the norm. You know, the amount uh, of yep. people I've spoken to on this show, uh, the vast majority are coming from environments where it, it just wasn't talked about. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, we couldn't predict it and we couldn't necessarily stop it all. But we could get support and we could find ways so that the family members, including myself, could have some psychological support as we were trying as a family to navigate something that was completely unforeseen, but definitely needed people's support and awareness and education around. Yeah. And for you, Christina, aside from the sort of curiosity sort of Mm -hmm. fueling your, you know, I got to learn more about this. What, what did that support look like for you? So clarify what you're asking so that I make sure I'm hitting it right. Sure. Sure. So did you start therapy at that time? Mm -hmm. Did you, you know, were you looking into, you know, medication, you know, those sorts Mm -hmm. of things? Yeah. So I definitely accessed therapy at that time because I think that my family saw it was a really disorienting experience for me to see things um, suddenly go from, hey, this is our lives to, wow, all of these things have suddenly changed. And I access support. And again, so incredibly grateful that my family gave me that gift of therapy because that is the place that, you know, I could have gone different ways with my life. And I was able to find a supportive system that allowed me to really process all the feelings I was feeling, all the anxiety that my body was holding on to, and why I was potentially experiencing certain thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and ways that I can cope with them so that this experience doesn't in turn shape me in a way that becomes unhealthy, that becomes potentially a place with limited boundaries, all the ways that mental illness can affect families, I was really able to get insight and information to through my own therapy experience. Uh, That's great. That's great to hear. Um, Now, you obviously having all this education now, you have the, Mm -hmm. you have, you know, a tremendous language to make sense of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you first went to therapy? Was, was it easy to talk about it? Was it, how was that for you? Well, I always think back to the first therapist I met, which wasn't the one that I continued with. And that is also why I advocate for people to 
really find a good fit. But the first therapist I ever went to, um, I remember I walked in and I remember what I was wearing too, because somehow this was going to be an important, you know, day. Um, and her first thought to share with me was, huh, wow, you don't look like somebody with anxiety. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, no. I know. That's the reason. (laughs) Um, It really shaped my idea of stigma. And, you know, as you shared that I created this campaign about stigma, but it's also because I have had it placed on me. And so I remember going home and I remember talking to my family and being like, yeah, she said that I don't look like somebody with anxiety. And as, you know, an adolescent, I don't know what that means. Sure. All I know that it meant that it didn't feel good to be in that space. And so my family found a different therapist and I walked in and it was a different experience. And it was a therapist that I used on and off for, you know, a decade And part of the reason that I went to grad school was that she really told me, hey, you can do this. You you can use your life and your experiences to help others. And so it is about finding a good fit and it is about finding a space that's going to allow you to really navigate the things that are going on in your life, as well as the things and goals that you want in turn as you move forward. Yeah. I'm glad you said the part about finding a good fit. Cause it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. Like I'll I've talk been, about it all day. Yeah. I've been there myself, you know, yes. I, and also I think another point, another sort of wrinkle to that is, uh, there are good therapists and they're also yep. bad therapists, yep. you know, just and, like they're good yep. and bad in every sort of realm of the world. Yeah. Every profession. And every unfortunately, profession, yeah. The bad therapists are pretty darn bad. So (laughs) it doesn't help, right? When the media um, or, you know, films kind of highlight the bad therapists. I always have to joke around with my friends when they watch a movie and they say like, oh, yeah, there was a therapist. You should watch it. You know, I was like, ah, it depends what kind of therapist was being (laughs) displayed because, there are a lot of negative associations and some of them are completely legitimate and some of them are definitely fabricated for entertainment. And so it's about how, how do we represent our field in a professional and ethical way and also acknowledge that sometimes if somebody walks into therapy and it's not the right fit, they're never going to go back to therapy. And that is really heartbreaking for me. It really is. I I, I remember um, I was uh, how old was I? It was two thousand two. Um, I was in. I was a sophomore. No, two thousand one. I was a sophomore in college, mm-hmm. studying abroad in Swansea, Wales. Oh, in the throes of anorexia, mm-hmm. uh, very sick, and you know I was I was self-harming i was suicidal um and i went to my first therapist right uh at it was at the university of swansea and i you know i i was terrified i i didn't know what to say Mm -hmm. i I didn't even at that point i wasn't even using the language eating disorder and and i went to her and i don't remember what she said but i remember leaving about a half hour later um 
feeling absolutely um, defeated, feeling mm-hmm. unsupported, feeling like mm-hmm. she had no clue what to do with me. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, I, you know, I got through that and am in now, now in a therapy and with, a, with an amazing therapist. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that experience could have been. Yep. You Door know, closing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is for so many people. And so I always tell the patients I work with in the first session, after today's session, you get to go home and you get to decide, right? If this is going to be a good fit, because I want to provide a space that it is okay to say no in. And if this doesn't feel like a good space for you to really do the therapeutic work, Therapists can't take that personally and some will and some do. And that's a disservice to the people in the world. So to really invite people in, but also give them the total green light to find somebody that's going to be a good fit, whether it's expertise, whether it's gender, whether it's age, it doesn't matter. It's really about the therapeutic value of the relationship between the therapist and patient truly drives how the therapy will look. Yeah. Why do you feel that there is still, I mean, even since 2019 and there still Mm -hmm. is a stigma around going to therapy. Why do you think that Uh, still persists? (laughs) (laughs) Therapy is cool. (laughs) I think that as long as there is a stigma, around mental illness, there will be a stigma around mental health treatment. Hmm. I truly believe that is connected. I think that that makes sense. People. Yeah. People. It's the same thing, right? As long as there's a stigma around addiction, there's going to be a stigma around recovery. It's, it's just, there's so much stigma that is out in the world that people experience day in and day out that closes doors and opportunities for recovery and healing and even just a better essence of life and society perpetuates it. And we ourselves perpetuate it by the words we use, the things we say, the way we behave um, and how we respond to mental health and mental illness. So I think that even though there are 44 million Americans struggling with mental illness, People are choosing not to take the time to educate themselves and learn on ways to support people that are struggling and instead feel that it is easier to judge or uh, misinterpret or, you know, ignorance is bliss. And I think that that is part of why stigma continues to exist in our society and continues to tell people that if they are struggling, they need to be silent. Uh, it, uh, it breaks my heart. I, yes. I want to change this. Yes. <laughs> like I, you know, that's essentially what the, I mean, precisely what this show is about. And I, right. I've been actually working on, um, a biz, some business ideas sort of building from this, this podcast because. Awesome. Yeah. It, because it's, it's such a, 
it's so heartbreaking to like I know so I'm on the inside. We're on the inside. We right. we know right. how powerful it is to be vulnerable and to lead with our hearts and to talk about mm-hmm. this stuff because it allows people in. It allows connecting, it allows healing and recovery. Mm-hmm. And like l- stepping outside of that, like it's it's mind-boggling to me that that we can't all get there. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. And, you know, to the credit, there are people that are trying to make a difference around this. Yeah. There are p- people that are on big platforms that are talking about it. And so while it is completely devastating to know that stigma is alive and well, I also very much hold on to the hope that as people continue to come forward and break the silence around mental illness, the more people will decide to learn about it and educate themselves and find ways to engage in this community so that people don't feel like their only choice is to be silent. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I have that hope as well. I mean, we, we have mm-hmm. to have that hope if we're going to keep yeah. mo- po- uh, moving forward. Yep. Do you, Christina, believe that therapy is for everyone? Yes. <laughs> uh, and let me explain before people tell me it's not. Um, I do. I do think that therapy is a space for personal growth. Whether or not you have a mental health condition, therapy can be a useful space for you to really look at yourself, look at your life, look at your behaviors, look at your thoughts, look at your feelings, and really make some thoughtful and aware choices on how you want things to look like. I think that while psychotherapy is one of the few treatment options for mental illness, it is also a treatment option for Anybody who is interested in personal growth, I think there's this idea that there has to be something wrong for you to access support. And my hope is that people start to understand that people can benefit from this specific environment, aka therapy, if they are open to the experience. I'm so glad you said that because that's mm-hmm. these are exactly my thoughts. Uh, around therapy. I I agree. I think everyone should go to therapy, um, not as a blanket, like treating your mental illness, but as, as you said, as like we as humans can get so insular and Mm -hmm. so caught up in the thoughts in our head and, and we can't do it alone. Like the fact is we cannot do it alone. We need people and and we can't always rely on our friends or our loved mm-hmm. ones because we need sometimes a third party to just get stuff out to and have different right. perspectives. Right. Right. And so then this always leads me to the disheartening part is that millions of people don't have access to therapy. Right. Right. If we know that therapy can be beneficial for anybody, then why is it not? Right. something that is out there that everyone can access. I can't tell you how many times people message me and they're like, yeah, therapy is cool and I don't have access to it. (laughs) 
And that is a real thing. It is a real thing that people don't have access to it, depending on where they live, depending on financial resources, depending on even awareness that therapy is something that is an option for them. There's just so many barriers for people to access it. And I, I, that's the part that, that I feel stuck sometimes is how do I support people getting access to therapy? And so one of the reasons I created hashtag therapy is cool is so that that would happen each month. The proceeds go to a different mental health organization that provides therapeutic services. And this could allow that each of these nonprofits have some more funding so that they can offer more services to the communities that they're located. Because I think that we continue to see this barrier of people can utilize therapy, they can benefit from it, yet they don't have access to it. So proceeds from hashtag therapy is cool mm-hmm. goes to these organizations and then these organizations can theoretically provide free counseling or is it not free counseling? So the ones that I donate to all have that option. Okay. So I spend way too much time researching mental health organizations that provide therapy. So that those are the criteria for the donation. So a, they're a nonprofit or not for profit and B they provide therapeutic services. And so since the launch in October, each um, organization that I have donated to provides that. So it's an opportunity for them to continue to have these accessible to the community without the ongoing burden that they are continuing to have to pick up the bill for, which is a lot of people need services and organizations only have so much funds. Right. I mean, how, how do you know, just like playing the devil's advocate here, how do you yes. know that the money goes towards specifically helping an individual get mm-hmm. therapy? So I really spend a lot of time interviewing these organizations. Okay. So you I called them. Connect, you yep. connected with them. Oh, yeah. Nice. I Listen, I know that while the financial donation isn't ever going to be as big as I want it to, I want to make sure that every cent counts. And so I find out, so if I donate, where does it go? How do I make sure it goes directly to mental health services? How much would cover one year's worth, right? I really try to dial it down. And the majority of these places are not big organizations, right? They're not the ones that a lot of people know. These are ones that are in people's communities. And so I want to make sure that I can access every state, right? Um, And have people have some benefit because if one person gets treatment because of something that was created to raise awareness and provide funds, then I feel like I have done my job. Okay. And which, which are these organizations? Can you name some? For yeah. Listeners? Yeah. So October was Alameda Family Services here in Oakland. And in November, it was SOAR out of Delaware that works with um, survivors of sexual abuse. In December, it was the Wright Institute of Los Angeles, right by you. In 
January, it was the um, Headstrong Project in New York that provides free and anonymous mental health services for 9-11 vets. In February, it was Christie's House, which is in Miami, Florida, which provides services for sex trafficking victims and childhood sex abuse. And this month is March, and it is Thresholds in Chicago, which provides substance abuse uh, services and mental health support and medication for severe mental illness and homelessness. That's awesome. I think I got them all right. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I was like, hold oh, <laughs> So yeah, I try to go across the country and find different organizations that are doing good work and people can nominate them. And then I vet them and find out what kind of work they're doing and then give the proceeds after each month's calculation of how many totes were sold and then send it over to them. That's really important because I, I do, you know, you as a, you know, on the consumer side of things, you, you don't have a sense of where your donations go usually. Totally. It's not, it's not clear. It's, it's right. like, I want, I want to make the, the direct impact as possible, but you're not, right. you're not sure. So it's, it's really good to hear that you have done the legwork to kind of ensure that you're, you're providing, you know, what you can. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's important. I think it's important for people to know that if they're purchasing a tote, not only are they literally walking around like a billboard <laughs> saying <laughs> hashtag therapy is cool so that people can see it and ask questions and think about it and interpret it, but they're also giving $20, right, to an organization that is providing therapy. I, I wanted something to be not just based on awareness, but awareness and providing funds so that therapy can be accessible because that is a barrier that I continue to see that keeps people from being able to get that benefit. Yeah. And what, so, you know, obviously this is, you're doing an, an amazing job at, at, you know, from whatever power you can as one person to, to, <laughs> I know. to make an impact and it's a beautiful impact, but what what in your mind at being in it being a therapist like what in your yeah. mind can we do more of to get everyone access to therapy <sighs> listen that is like one of the deep <laughs> life questions <laughs> sure i know you don't have all the answers no, but i'd love to but i mean yeah, what are I your like, thoughts i like no, I like the invitation to even brainstorm, right? Of like, how can we do this? And how can we encourage that mental health services should be included for everyone? And I think that there's so many systems at play. So one, voting on political and legal issues that affect mental health access is important. Mm -hmm. I think that all of us have to do the research and learn about the props and learn about the bills and see, is this going to make mental health services more accessible or less accessible? And there are many out there. So step one, as an individual in society, we need to become educated on this. I think step two is that people, if they are able to need to advocate for these services, a lot of 
health insurance plans now, thankfully, are covering costs of therapy. But a lot of people don't know that. So knowing that you have, if you have access to insurance, there are services that are most likely going to be covered. And so I talk a lot with people about calling your insurance panels, finding out what they cover, finding a therapist that accepts that insurance, right? How, how to navigate that system so that even if I'm not the one that's going to be working with them, they know that there are services out there. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing to do is for us to continue to talk about the need for mental health services as a preventative measure. We know that millions and millions of dollars are being used for treatment options, including medication, therapy, inpatient, due to the ever-growing, you know, epidemic of mental illness. And if we know that, what are we doing on the preventative side? What are we doing to ensure that people can have access to this early on? so that people are given the opportunity to have a life where they can have productivity and be part of society. Yeah. Yeah. And another, you know, just preventative measure would be to, you know, break stigma. Yes. Right? Yep. And the one thing I am hopeful about and that it has started to come to light is that New York State and Virginia are the first two states to pass mental health education being required in the school system. And I am hopeful about that. I am so hopeful that, yes, that if people are learning about it in school, that they will take that with them as they continue to navigate life. And so the stigmas that are so often fueled by misinformation or lack of information can then in turn be limited because there will be an educational component that will be with children from an early age as they go through the school system. And my hope is that every state will adopt this. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I, you know, I... I am always I'm I'm in awe of many of my um you know my my followers on Instagram and the listeners of this show a lot of them being you know younger than me and in in some mm-hmm. cases much younger than me mm-hmm. and uh, I'm in awe in most cases of their openness and vulnerability and you know I, know. I like I like I I just like put myself in their sort of 19 20 year old shoes and it's like I was Yeah, that wouldn't have happened. No, <laughs> I was shut down emotionally. I was, you know, severely yep. anorexic. I like I and it's so interesting. Like it's it it I I think that I'd like to think of that as a hopeful look at okay, mm-hmm. it, it's getting a bit better. Yeah, I think it's like a a temperature reading of the culture, right? Yeah. What are the adolescents and the kids doing? And the fact that people are talking about it and the fact that people are sharing their stories and their experiences is something that brings hope and brings this idea that how can we continue to support people sharing their stories so that we can normalize the human experience uh, that we all have something that we struggle with and that accessing 
support is never going to be a negative thing, but a, a gift that you can give yourself in this chaotic world that we all live in. Totally. Yeah. You know, you, so you, Christina, work with um, children and adolescents. Is that right? Yeah. So I work primarily with adolescents, young adults, um, because I think that that age group is so vulnerable and so many things can go in different ways at that time. And so I'm really wanting to dedicate my time to supporting people who are hitting these roadblocks at an early age in hopes that they can navigate them to have a life that they want to live. I love that. And what really warms my heart about that is I hear on this show a lot, and it was certainly the case for me. uh, You know, you said it yourself in your own story as kids, like we don't maybe have the the brain power and the emotional intelligence to really make sense of what's happening. Um, right. Uh, and, and certainly don't have maybe the language, but I, I do feel like a certain amount of it can be taught. Yes. Right. Yeah. If you're given permission, right. Yeah. You are given permission to talk about these things, these feelings, these thoughts, these fears, then you will have, the information, the tools, the techniques to navigate them. And so I, I view therapy as that permission, that permission to talk about all the things that you are thinking and feeling and acting. And my hope is that if I can access that at a young age, then they're better equipped for the things that are going to show up later in life. Yeah, that's awesome. And another aspect of the work you do, from what I've read, is working, um, I mean, you're clearly making the jump from your sort of childhood experience yeah, to right? now working with trauma and substance <laughs> yes. abuse disorders. Right? Is- Weird how that plays out. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what do I want to be an expert in this? <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. Like I- trauma, I'm, I'm in particular, and, and a lot of trauma and substance abuse in my family, what... What have you learned about trauma as a therapist? That healing is possible. Oh, well, that's I can't, nice. I can't say that enough. I have sat with people in this professional capacity that I'm not sure I could have survived the kind of trauma they have. Mm. Right? I question my own ability. And yet, they are there doing the work to heal and they are actually healing and they are actually having a life that is not destroyed by trauma or years of trauma. Right. And so I truly, truly believe that the one thing I hold on to is that healing is possible, that trauma is devastating and healing at the end of the day, is possible. Hmm. I think I and all of us needed to hear that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's such a, you know, trauma is, is a scary word. And, and, and yes. I've even used on this show before, like I've said, quote, big T trauma, you know, to describe mm-hmm. certain experiences and certain events for myself and for others. Right. And it is a scary word. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it's um it's not, it can be misinterpreted or it can be misused, right? Um, but it it's a word that really encapsulates experience or experiences that have significantly and negatively impacted you. Yeah. And I think that there's this misconception and a long list of what trauma is and what it looks like and how the healing process works. And there's not ever going to be a one size fit all. I think everyone's healing journey is unique and different and isn't comparative to anyone else's. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I was having a conversation with, um, a guest of the show once and, um, it was Aaron Smith, and he had said uh, that – I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. He had said that there is um, more of an understanding and more of an acceptance for things like depression and anxiety and less so and more fear uh, and more stigma for things like schizophrenia or bipolar mm-hmm. disorder. Mm-hmm. Do you Do you feel like that's true? Yeah, I am – in full agreement that the mental health conditions that people seem to have more acceptance around are the ones that more people experience. So what we know is that depression, anxiety are the two most common mental health conditions. Yeah. So it would make sense to me that if there is a large portion of people that are experiencing this, that there is access to information and learning that is going around this. When there is a smaller subset of people experiencing something like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, psychosis, that we then lean into the stigma part more because we don't have that information. And so we rely on the little bits of information that we might know And a lot of that can look scary or confusing or not something we can really wrap our minds around. And so we then lean into the stigma versus, huh, I don't know much about this mental health condition. What can I do to educate myself around it? Education is so important. It really, really is. I mean, I, we can't say that enough. I mean, if you feel, like, I, I think I, I think we can use that broadly in life. I, I feel mm-hmm. like so much fear and um, persecution and judgment and uh, exclusion comes out of just not being educated on something. Right. Yeah. And I I I try to understand the part that choosing to access education around this takes time and effort and energy and maybe people don't feel like they have that but at the same time we are part of a collective society and so we do all need to do a part ensure to make this something that is more inclusive yeah yeah 100 percent. we're all in this together yeah um so how is the hashtag therapy cool campaign going? Are you getting a lot of purchases, a lot of responses? What What's that been like for you? Yeah, people are amazing. <laughs> That's what I just want to start off with. What came up as like this, huh, this is a little idea, you know, ran it by some people. They're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. 
I was not prepared. I was not prepared emotionally or physically or mentally for how it took off. Um, and I, I am just in deep appreciation for people that follow my Dr. Christina Instagram account. They see that weekly I'm going on. I'm just thanking people left and right, mm-hmm. just thanking them for supporting this cause because sure I could wear a bag myself and I do, but that doesn't do what collectively, if we all come together, what it would do. And Every day I get emails from people talking about the tote, whether they wore it, they saw it, someone had a comment on it, and it is kind of the refueling that I get every day to kind of continue to do this advocacy work. And people respond and people care. And so the days where I'm feeling like stigma is going to win, all I have to do is open up an email and be like, nope, actually, that's that is not a useful thought because (laughs) there's somebody who's out there fighting stigma out in the open, wearing their tote, answering questions. And I think that we have to change the conversation around mental health. And so the hashtag therapy is cool. Tote is that conversation starter. I've had people make incredibly rude comments about it. And I've had people make incredibly thoughtful, shifting mindsets around it. And so the goal is that people are sharing it. Um, there's a hashtag therapy is cool Instagram and Facebook account where I literally repost people's posts and hundreds of people are taking pictures, uploading it to social media and letting all of their accounts that they follow or follow them know that we don't have to be silent and we can talk about things like mental health and therapy. Yeah, oh, it's so cool. I love that it's a conversation starter because it's there's so much uh, that we lug around and wear, and you know that that of course does not do that. So I, I love that <laughs> right that it's it, it's that sort of conversation starter. Have you got any good stories from people who've like, oh yeah, I like someone asked about it, and I was you know it was this sort of jumping off point for talking about oh mental gosh. health with this random stranger. Totally. And that's the stories that I literally like take pictures of on my phone and store because I want to have them forever and I want to pass them down to my family. Like I just, I believe that we are all capable of doing something that can change the world. And so when people send me messages and they say, um, one that I posted about, which was hilarious, um, this friend of mine was wearing her tote and she lives in a different state than me and she was in the elevator and she was with two other professional males as they were leaving a work building and one of them said huh what's that tote and she did the great you know spiel about that this is a mental health action campaign used to raise awareness and change the conversation around mental health and the guy must have not been listening because guy number one said, well, you better be careful because people are going to think you're in therapy. Oh boy! So then she responds and it's like, yeah, that's the point that these are conversations for us to ask. Why is that a negative response? Why do we think therapy is something bad? And male number two elevator guy who was friends with male number one and his ignorant statement said, John, I don't know what you're talking about. Therapy is the best thing I ever did. 
Oh, nice. And it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love right? that. Right? Like that conversation just happened where like there's two coworkers and one guy is just really fueling the stigma and the other guy in that moment had an opportunity to stay silent or say something. That's, and he said something. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what authenticity is. That's what, you know, vulnerability is. That's, um, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I so I take pictures and, you know, yesterday somebody emailed me and said that they're a third grade teacher and they pinned it on their wall. And I was like, what? This is amazing. <laughs> right. And so yeah. I kind of, I get emotional in a good way because I want to feel this feeling. I want to feel that there are people who, you know, I created a vehicle that other people need to drive, right? I can drive mine, but other people have to drive it. And so people are wanting to put this in places for people to see. And I picked a tote because I wanted something that people use every day, right? And so that are are big and aware and you're a walking billboard letting the world know that, you know, I I stigma does not belong here anymore. It kills people. Literally, stigma yeah. kills people. And so we can all do a part and this is the part that I, I want to do for as long as I can. I love it. I love it. Um, That's the game plan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, we, we talked at the top about how, you know, you're trying to, you know, create boundaries and balance in your life, being a very busy therapist and, and doing all the things and saying yes to all the things. I'm curious, tied to that, like what, what does your self-care look like? Well, my self-care looks a lot like leaving work at work and having home be home. I think that that has been my ever-growing self-care model, which is knowing when to shut off the devices and the work life and when to re-engage in the things that make me happy and fulfilled. So it's not the answer that people like, which is like, I do yoga and meditate, (laughs) but (laughs) it's about, I take care of myself and, and trying to adjust balance so that life can continue to have all the parts that fulfill me because work is one of them, but it is not all of them. I think that's a really good point because if, if we're not creating those boundaries, if we're not like leaving the work at home, having, you know, having, creating those sort of silos, uh, we're not going to be able to do the yoga. We're not going to (laughs) get what we, what we can out of the yoga or the mindfulness, you know? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Have you read anything mind blowing lately? (laughs) No. (laughs) Are you a book reader? Don't ask me those questions. (laughs) Mind blowing. I, yeah, I don't know. I, (laughs) I don't think I have, um, but it's making me think that I should. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I was just curious. I was just I'm like, curious. Oh, maybe, maybe I need to get back in that. No, but no, I mean, I, I was just curious. I actually have to go because I realized that we're over and I have my three o'clock patient. <laughs> oh my goodness! In the waiting room. <laughs> oh my goodness! So okay, we can wrap up. So tell me what you need for wrap up. Yes. Yeah, so just uh, do you have like two minutes? I can make it. Okay, so we always wrap up the show talking about empathy heroes. Okay. Who's an empathy hero of yours? Could be anyone. Anyone you know could be a fictional character. 
Okay. I would have to say my friend Maya Smith is my empathy hero. She is actually the CEO of the Born This Way Foundation. And that is Lady Gaga's foundation that focuses on kindness and mental health. Oh, lovely. And she is somebody that lives in my town that I know in real life. And she is part of the inspiration behind my campaign because she is the most giving, empathetic, kind person. Um, and so she's my empathy hero. Awesome. Hi, Maya. I'll send this to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll just list my empathy hero in the yes. intro for this episode. Um, uh, just where, where can people connect with you, Christina? So I, I have the Dr. Christina Instagram account, and that is my only professional account that features me. And then there is the Twitter account for Dr. Christina as well. It's less, less me and more kind of articles and, and things that I think are important to share around mental health. And for the hashtag therapy is cool mental health action campaign, you can go to the website, which is www.hashtag spelled out H-A-S-H-T-A-G therapy is cool.com. And there are different sections where you can have updates and information and products. And then there's also a Facebook and Instagram account at hashtag therapy is cool again the hashtag is spelled out lovely well go get to your patient thank you very much for being a guest on yumi empathy absolutely absolutely all right take care all right you too bye bye, -bye. <laughs>